Hello and welcome to the Harnessing Tailwind podcast. I'm your host, Adriel, and I am here with my good friend, Ben. Ben is from Israel, but he's he's been in the U.S. since he was how old were you, 12? 12, yep. I moved to the U.S. when I was 12 in 2004. Right. So it's funny because I went to a private school and... I left pr- this private school just as Ben was coming. So my friends met him before I met him, and he was like the talk of the town. Everyone was like, oh, this new Israeli kid is here. And I was like, who is this guy? Um, but we ended up, he ended up coming to the public schools where we, uh, where we went to school together. Um, but Ben wanted to introduce you to the podcast and uh, just to ask how you're doing. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm very excited to talk. You know, I hear about your adventures, your book, your podcast. Like, I really like how driven you are to do these things. So I'm happy to talk more about myself as well and, you know, get to know myself more by talking about it. Definitely. Well, I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're, uh, you know, you're willing to be on the show. And um, hoping to get into some interesting uh, topics. So, um, first off, your move here from Israel. So, I want to ask, you moved when you were 12. Do you identify more as American or Israeli? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Like, I feel like when I... I'm in the States, I identify more of as an, uh, more as an Israeli. And then when I go to Israel at this point, I identify most of like, mostly like an American. Um, I think I'm mixed, but it also goes through phases. Obviously when I first moved here, I was very, um, it's funny. I was very against moving here when I was 12. Like I had my friends in elementary school. Um, the purpose was actually just to come for three years uh, and get citizenship because that was the requirement to be in the U.S. for three years and then move back. So we told we told all our family and friends, like, it's it's not going to be for too long and we're going to come back. And obviously there's a lot of crying and all that. And I when I first came, I actually hated like the U.S. and I hated Americans. And when I came to the to middle school. Um, I was like, why are people talking to me? Why are they nice to me? Like, they're so weird. They're so nerdy and geeky. And, like, I I was very um, standoffish at first. So you thought people here were nerdy and geeky? Yeah. uh, And people in Israel weren't like that? Yeah, it's like I grew up kind of – it's, like, different. It's more sheltered. Or at least, you know, we moved to Sharon, Massachusetts. It's kind of a sheltered town, I guess, but um, but I grew up in a place where you were out on the streets all the time, like, hanging out with your friends, like, you know, your parents, like, didn't really know where you're at, you just came back later, and then um, and there's just more, more freedom. I would walk to school with my friends, which was, like, 20-minute walk, and, like, then we would all walk back, and everyone would just, like... Um, people that live in the same area would just walk together and then like they will start separating one by one like when they get to their house it was like a different different stuff like that there was you know 
yeah, it was it was kind of different in that sense. And then I come to Solomon Schechter, and there's like people wearing yarmulkes, which I'm not really, like I'm secular, and like wearing their like I don't know button downs, which I don't didn't even like really look at or like was into in in that age. I don't know. It was interesting. It was very different, and everyone was much proper too. So you moved from Israel to the U.S., but you felt like it was more religious. You actually, your religious level increased yeah. from your move um, from Israel, because I think it's probably a misconception maybe a lot of people have, but a lot of Israelis really don't give a shit about religion, right? Right, like, well, not that we don't give a shit about religion, but we have traditions. We're more, we stick more to traditions rather than religious like rather than uh religious practices like when i came to middle school that's when i learned all the prayers like i've never really practiced those prayers um in israel only when you go to you do go to temple for high holidays but um it's not really the same typically the holidays are kind of like dinners so i know this episode is about you but i have a quick aside here because i recently came back from birthright Mm -hmm. And what shocked me was one of the, they pair us up with some Israelis. One of the Israeli guys that they paired us up with, he was an officer in, uh, in the IDF, in the military over there. And, you know, lived in Israel his whole life. He said that the first Shabbat dinner he went to was after he was in the army. Meaning that he had never been to temple. He had never been to any religious ceremony until it was like a requirement in the army. Was he Ashkenazi Jew? Yeah. White Jew? Yeah. Ashkenazi Jew. Yeah. And that that pretty much shocked me because I was like, wow, he really is not a religious guy at all. Even though he lives in this place that, I mean, Israel is is supposedly a very religious place meaning that you know that's where muhammad was and jesus and the israelites back in the day um there's so much history and it seems like that's kind of the center of religion of the entire world i mean i know mecca is a, a muslim more of the muslim uh center piece yeah. but as far as judaism and christianity i mean i guess there's the vatican as well um, so I don't mean to go into a religion lesson here, but I, I was shocked by that. But the one thing that was interesting is when we went to the Western Wall, I told I, I asked him, we were standing there and I asked him, so this probably doesn't really mean much to you, meaning that you're so secular, right? And his answer shocked me because he said, no, no, this is, this is actually very, very important. I was like, why is that important? You just said that you're not religious at all. He's like, yeah, I'm not religious, but this is something else. This is, this is who I am. Yeah. This is my identity. This is my people. Um, uh, have been at this spot for millennia, right? I mean, before when was the temple destroyed? Seventy A.D. I don't know the dates, but it's a landmark to like, yeah, you know, to show like this is like here we are. This is what we've been through. This is a symbol of our existence as Jews. Not necessarily necessarily as religious people, but as a nation, because 
you know how Judaism is kind of mixed with ethnicity and religion and all that. Like, I think a lot of people identify as Jews, not necessarily meaning that they're religious, but they're very proud of their heritage, of especially being Israeli and their history. And it is kind of mixed in with some religion or religious stories or history. So it's funny, but there is some sort of separation as well that I think maybe out to the out world, like outside of Israel is not clearly kind of seen, mm. but... And you mentioned that sort of proud, like proud to be who you are and proud of your heritage. Um, I mean, that enough compelled you to actually join the military for Israel, right? Is that part of the reason why you did it? Or was there some other reason? Because I know, you know, personally, it's crossed my mind about, you know, once or twice um, about joining uh joining the military or something like that it never actually happened. Um, but wanted to know, like, what was your real intention behind? I want to join the military. Was it because I want to be tough and badass, or is it because this is my people? I want to support it. Well, I'll let you say it instead of putting words in your mouth, but what was your reason behind joining? Yeah. I, so I actually think I had like a few reasons and, so, so I, I, right, I was in middle school in the U.S., well, seventh grade to um, high school, senior year and all that. And by then I kind of assimilated with, you know, the American culture, but I was still kind of behind, um, you know, even with language and things and like preparing for college was very difficult for me, not only because of the language and like doing SATs and all that, but I, I never grew up knowing that I'm going to college. Like, I grew up knowing that when I'm 18, I go to the army. Like, that's kind of like the culture in Israel. You grow up, you go to the army. Like, that's, there's no way around it. And, um, and so that kind of part of, like, was part of it, being like, this is part of my culture, going to the army when you're 18. The, I think the disadvantage I had with believing my like believing that I'd be able to go to college with like yes I spoke English and all that but I still kind of felt behind everyone and that I'm not capable yet of going to college um the other aspect was my parents never went to college so they didn't they never gave me the guidance on how to prepare for college what to do and and unfortunately, I didn't really get that much of support in in my school as well. You didn't feel like from Sharon High School you were prepared to apply to colleges and everything? No, no one, well, I needed someone to kind of tell me how and what are the steps. And although I did take the SATs, I actually didn't take it seriously at all. I, I, didn't, I don't think I even took a class. I was just like, I'll just try it and see what I can get. Um, and obviously that didn't work out. Did you apply um, to any schools? No, at the time I didn't. I think by, by junior year, I kind of every, like my family also in Israel, my parents were like, maybe you should go to the army, like, and, you know, kind of learn more about your, like yourself, like being in the army, what it's like, maybe. Um, and then the other aspect of it was kind of to please my parents. And that's a whole different story, but, um, I tend to do, you know, to kind of, I like to make my parents proud and that's a big motivation of mine for many years. And so, um, and so when my dad suggested it, I took it kind of more seriously and, um, 
and basically decided to go for it because he also wanted to still have a connection to Israel. So in a way, he was kind of using me to still be in touch with Israel. So that was a good um, way to do so. That way they could come to, to, they would have more of a reason to come to Israel and visit and, and have someone like their son to, you know, be proud of. Well, it's like to say that my son went to fight for the IDF means yeah. that, okay, you're a true Israeli almost, right? Like a validation on his part for, um, as you said, the connection to Israel and the feeling that you're really an Israeli. Was that, you think, him not wanting to lose sort of that part of yeah. his identity? Yeah, well, I think it's also actually um, funny because he never went to the army and my mom never went. Even though it is a draft and everyone must go, my mom at the time got hurt and when she was about 18 and broke her leg. And so they actually released her from uh, army duties. And then my dad was actually an at-youth risk. He grew up in a very poor environment and his parents actually left, um, his parents actually left when he was um, 15 and they went to, to the US and that's how we eventually got our citizenship. Um, so he was all alone, he was an only child at youth, um, risk at youth um, person, whatever you want to call it. And so he actually didn't need to go to the army. He did try, even though, so the army kind of rejected him and he did try anyways and volunteered. But my dad doesn't fit in to being told what to do or any structure. And so quickly after like maybe two months, he gave that up and decided that's not for him. So I think me having to do this kind of made him feel more successful or made, made him feel like he is, you know, repenting for something or that, um, you know, like he is making up for the fact that he didn't go. It's so funny whenever you say these things about your your dad, because I've met your dad and we used to do plumbing. Uh, he, I, I was I was shadow for he's a plumber and I shadowed him for a day. And I thought he was, he was like the kindest, nicest, just friendliest guy. And then it's like, wait, he was a delinquent youth. I would have, it would have never, never guessed. Oh, he, he, um, was. he was kind of a low-key criminal. Low-key. Wow. Well, yeah. huh. That's very, I mean, I would have never guessed that. I mean, criminal is a hard word, but, you know, got into trouble here and there. Yeah. Um, so... For you joining the army, that was, would you say is primarily to please your parents or was it something that you intrinsically wanted to do regardless of your parents? Yeah, so originally I think I, I mean, I always kind of say um, the reason is like I didn't have really support to go to college, like, like not financial support, but, you know, emotional support or mental support or anything like that. Um, but when I do dig deeper and I've talked about it in therapy and all that, like I do think a lot of it stems from making my parents proud and getting more achievements under my belt so I can, you know, be that person for them to be proud of. I think making our parents proud is something that everybody wants to do. I mean, yeah. I think that that's sort of, 
it's and that's why parenting I think is so important because really I think about what my values are and I think that that is pretty much a mirror image of what my parents values are um, <clears throat> so for any parents out there wanted to express the importance of that not speaking from experience but because uh, I'm not one but um, that's why it's scary being a parent, I feel like, because there's so much responsibility. Yeah. That, you know, you're a role model for your kids, and it's, it's just scary to, to have kids and, and be able to be such a big influence on them. Oh, it's a huge influence. Whether I mean, negative or positive. You're literally creating somebody, first of all, and second of all, they're going to do whatever you tell them to do, pretty much. Um, but... Uh, Linking back on that, it was to make your parents proud. Looking back on the whole experience, are you glad you did it? So, yeah, I don't like to say I regret it. Um, I think going back, I don't think I would have done the same thing. I think I would try to go to college if I had this knowledge right now. Um, but I also don't regret it because I did learn so much. I just feel like I got a little bit behind with like, you know, get when I got back from the army, like my friends were starting to like, you know, work and and I was just starting college. So um, I kind of felt behind on that. But I, I do think that I've learned a lot in the army and I've tested a lot of my limits physically and mentally. Um, and that kind of showed me how much I like, could stretch myself like I've done crazy stuff I've like walked straight for 14 hours with like I I don't know like 30 or 40 pounds of weight like you know a backpack full of weapons or guns or magazines or food or tents because we were like in the desert and we just had to survive in the desert for about a week and so you just, so are we talking like over 100 degrees was it or oh, probably yeah and cold at night we would walk at it's not cold at night oh okay but, but hot, like, very hot during the day negative hot during yeah. the day um and we had um what do you mean by negative then the negative desert the negative um we it was, Which desert was it? where was it it was down south i don't remember the name it's funny, a lot of the stuff I don't remember because I feel like I kind of filtered out. <laughs> you blocked it out. Yeah, I blocked it, was that, it out. It was that traumatic. In some ways, yeah. But do you think that that uh, however hard it was, was sort of a, a positive thing about testing your limits and yeah. knowing that, well, first of all, did you feel like, did you ever feel like, I think I'm going to quit, I think I'm going to drop out, I don't want to continue oh, uh, many times and I wanted to drop out because it was so hard for me uh, but I don't think you can just drop out that easily so even because I know in the U in the US Army or Marines or whatever you can at least for Navy SEALs because I read about this stuff but there's a bell that you ring and you just ring it and then you're done really yeah no, for no. for for SEAL training I know for I sure there's a there's a bell and that just means you're done and no one no one judges you, no one asks anything, it's just, it's over, but it's almost like a shame, a frowned upon shameful thing, and it's like, okay, you have to publicly acknowledge to everybody that you just gave up, and so many people don't give up for that reason. It, to the point where people actually die in training, um, because they either drown or they 
just work themselves to death. Yeah, you know, that, that is insane, but I think it's more, it could be in like the special units. I mean, I was infantry, it, but it wasn't like special units. So it's about, it's people, some people don't want to be there as well. Um, but they don't make it easy to leave. Like, yeah, I have, yeah, you have to really be in a very low mental state and like have to have had like appointments with therapists, which, which is also very hard to get. It was, I have actually reached pretty low points where my dad actually called my commander and started yelling at him and swearing at him. Uh, to get me out of there. Really? And, yeah. Because it, he thought that the commander wasn't doing a good job or because he just knew that you were struggling? I was, because I was struggling. It wasn't like the commander's fault. It's like, it was very difficult for me. So that's another transition, right? Back, going back to Israel after being a little bit more Americanized. Uh -huh. um, I came back when I was 18 or 19. And then I started feeling more American in Israel. I was a bit more, you know, Israelis are rougher around the edges yeah, like i was are. a bit more soft gentle um at the time i was also in the closet so that's a whole thing like going to the army full of testosterone and all that and and that's like kind of di very difficult to be around like toxic masculinity and all that when you're not a guy with like you know that kind of ego trying to impress trying to like be the man or something like that or like the ideal man that everyone thinks and is it that if you're out of the closet can you are you still allowed to be in the idf yeah. like what are the rules with that yeah yeah you can still serve but i mean people will you know people will be people and yeah uh, you probably experience a lot of discrimination bullying, if you are out yeah bullying and stuff like that so i was bullied there and um in general. Did you make friends though? As I well? made a few friends, yeah. I did make a few friends. Um, but I was bullied a good amount. Um, and so with that and all the physical limit and things, and then all of a sudden, you know, you wear, I, I felt like I was starting to lose my identity because you don't wear your clothes. You're not Ben anymore. You're just like a regular soldier. Everyone comes from like, is essentially having the same background kind of like you wear everyone wears the same clothes there's a higher rank but you know all your colleagues are like the same level as you and i just started losing my identity and like not shining and not being who i am and kind of started like being depressed and um and that's when kind of like my dad helped out and like started yelling at them so then they actually they didn't i didn't leave the army then but they um took me out to the medic force um, oh, how how long into it did you switch to the medic corps? Um, I was in the army for about a year. Okay. Until yeah, I, it was a good ex like they were like okay you, you're struggling. Uh, what we'll do is we'll send you to a medic course in the in the meantime. So I was like okay. Um, and the medic course was actually like kind of a um, an epiphany to me or something because it was like oh, wow, the army is actually not so bad. Like, I, it was, it was more school oriented. And this is, that, that's, that's actually when I learned more about, like, I'm more of a studious person. I like school. I like those, like that kind of atmosphere. And so that's where I started actually shining uh. and making friends and, and, and lo like, not loving the army, but liking and making it tolerable. 
I was doing well in, in the school, in the courses, and um, yeah, and that was actually my highlight in the army, and, and I didn't realize that it could be actually fun. We, I would go home every weekend, which is not something I was able to do in infantry. We had some, um, we had more women there too, and they were our commanders as well, and I, and I really liked that because there's more like, it wasn't just toxic masculinity everywhere trying to prove themselves, so it was like really kind of cool, like, you know, to be able to talk to some uh, women, and, and yeah, that was a really, I've made like a really good group of friends there. Was there not women in infantry? No. Really. Or like in your, when you had meals or things like that? No, no. Really? They separate you completely? They weren't in our, my, in my infantry unit. They okay. weren't. The only, the only times that there were some women is because one of them was a, not a therapist, but a person you would talk to if you need anything or like some logistical roles, but you wouldn't see them often. They're more up at the base while we are like, uh, like, kind of like a, dip, uh, a different base, more like, mm. yeah. I assume it's pretty strict about no sort of like hooking up or anything like that when it, you're in an infantry because it's so, there's so much discipline and you have to be at bed at, in bed at this certain time, right, and all that? Yes, it is, but um, I've heard stories or I've heard things. There's ways to get around it. Secretly, yeah. yeah. Usually yeah. the higher ups would, you know, be because it, it's also, like you'd hear a lot of, ridiculous stories because you would say because a lot of us didn't go home often so it was like a kind of like it's kind of like a running joke how like horny you get on the base because you don't see women you don't do anything your girlfriends you're going out whatever and so like there's a lot of like sexual uh frustration that happens yeah and so, yeah there is some stories about about some women on the base doing stuff with a lot of guys or guys doing stuff for the girls like yeah i mean i i i bet there's always the ways to get around that yeah um okay so so after you moved to medic i want to ask this did you ever have to use your skills like in on the battlefield or anything like that or were you did you ever have a uh deployment so lucky for me, I guess, no, I didn't have to really do, besides my training and consistent training, like, um, that you do after, I didn't have really real time events that were critical of, that needed my skills. But and we, that was for, uh, like, uh, bandaging people and, and sort of a first responder. Is that yes, it? Yep. Okay. Bandaging a lot. Yeah. You, they teach you a lot of like skills, like traumas, how to treat trauma. When, do you know like, how to do a tourniquet? What's a tourniquet? Like when someone's leg blows off, you oh, have yeah, to like you tie the stick. Yeah. You know, like band. Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot of it. Now I probably am not as skilled or don't remember. Um, but one cool thing I do remember is that we had to give our, um, ourselves shots shots and we had to also be able to give ivs for people give yourself a shot yeah like a shot of like, what of anything like well what what i did was saline or whatever water uh, okay. salt water but you have to be able to like do it to yourself if because we had more we had to carry morphium morph or morphine, morphine. in um okay. yeah if, if someone was morphine. suffering or something yeah, like things like that or if someone had an allergic reaction or some um, different but why would you have to do it on yourself 
um, because the to deal with like the pressure and the stress and the I f- so I forget exactly the reason, but I think it was kind of like well sometimes you might if you're hurt you might need to do it to yourself, but the way we did it was also interesting. So we were a class of medics, right? And we sat in a circle, all of us, and it, they called it. Um, I think they called it pressure circle or something like that. And basically, the mission was my commander would start and she would give herself a shot, and the ne- the person next to her to her right had to do it as well. And we had and basically that we had to do this under a minute. Mm-hmm. And so you know people are also very hesitant about it to do it. And so like you really had to kind of like prove yourself and mm. and do that and, and do that like under a certain and like break a record essentially or like every every class wanted to do it better than the other um but one of our colleagues actually passed out because he was so nervous about it um but yeah it's part i don't know it's part of the training yeah i i um understand this guy i, I have a fear of needles yeah and actually i went to uh do some blood work recently and I almost passed out. Oh, really? I I started getting like really sweaty. Um, my heart was racing, and I was I was like seconds away from passing out before she like pulled the thing out of me. Oh, um, but uh, okay, so, so you, you don't can't have, have a... that in the army. Like you can't have it. You know you can't train a medic that can't do that shouldn't yeah. be helping in that way. Like what if the person needs. IV like what if they need a shot what if you need something IV so we had to do this blindfolded too I had to go to my friend and like feel their vein in the dark and give him like IV like insert the needle into the vein because and the reasoning for that was like a lot of the wars or like the fighting is at night and so we had to make sure that we're also fully trained to be able to give service at night. Have you ever had to use any of those skills, like, after the army? Or yeah, or does it give you a sense of, like, confidence about, okay, if something were to happen, I'd know what to do? Yeah, it actually did for the first few years. Um, I, I actually, it's funny, sometimes I was seeking it. I was like, when is something going to happen? Like, <laughs> I want to, like, you know, practice it, too. And, like, and I even, and I, I wanted to actually here, too, like, volunteer and take a yeah. course again. I just don't have time. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, but after a few years, you know, you kind of start losing it and forgetting. And so at this point, I don't trust myself. So, yeah, yeah, you would have been helpful if like, I always think if something happens like that, I want to be able to help, Yeah. uh, like the, the marathon bombing or whatever you hear about right. the people that actually saved people's lives by the guy who had his legs blown off. Some guy came and, uh, I guess wrapped tourniquets around his legs or did something um, to save his to save his life. But that's um, also scary, you know, when you go and help someone. I heard that it's a thing where like if you know, if you don't help you could make it worse and then you could, you know, be in trouble for it. Is that if a you thing? for for if you don't help you could make it worse? Or, no, like let's say you, you help, help you, Oh, you might actually you make help, it worse. Yeah, you might actually make it worse or I don't know about that. I feel like if someone is like bleeding to death on the ground, you're probably better off trying to like wrap something up than just like be like, Well, I don't wanna screw anything up and I believe there are laws, like uh good Samaritan laws that would prevent you from getting uh in trouble if 
you were trying to help out of goodwill and uh, you accidentally messed something up. But I, I have heard about, especially like with the NFL, um, people who have gotten hit so hard and they have like spinal injuries, you don't want to accidentally put uh, right. hit touch them on the wrong way. But I think that's different from if someone is bleeding uh, profusely, then that is something that you definitely want to stop as in, but if they have a neck injury and they're lying there, then maybe it's different where it's like, okay, maybe we don't want to. But see, now you're reminding me another like training that we had about it because we had to deal with trauma. So we did have, that's, that was one of the things when people are on the floor, like there was like really like steps on what we do first. So you first like, you know, clap or something, try to get their attention, see if they're awake. Mm -hmm. And then there's a yes or no. If they are, you do this. If they're not, you do this. But a lot of it was also like you can't necessarily like you had to move them in a proper way to check. So if you can't just if they're let's say they're laying on their back, you couldn't just flip them or anything. You actually had to like be careful not to move too much because you could be hurting them. So but you still needed to see if they're bleeding from below or anything from uh, from their back. So mm-hmm. there was a, a lot of like um, stuff like that. Like you got to be careful about it. So I think a lot of people here don't know about it. And if they move someone, they could damage the person in some ways. Yeah. Could hypothetically, but yeah. Well, any, well, regardless, it's good that you know what you're doing uh, with it, and it's probably good for anyone to get EMS right. skills for that. Um, but I wanted to transition to. You so you you go you leave the U.S. you go to Israel for three years and you join the army and then you come back and you start an undergraduate degree at UMass. But you're sort of you've been through the army you've been through all this stuff you're sort of grown up at this point and you're sort of thrown into um, a school with you're probably feel like you're a man amongst boys or whatever analogy you want to give, but you've got, you you have more experiences under your belt than they did. How was the transition back to being kind of like the soft American in your words, um, going from, going from being in Israel where you're sort of hardened up a little bit. And now it's like, okay, now I'm back to this nice sheltered place where I don't have to worry about saving people's lives and all that. Yeah, so um, I actually, um, I didn't go straight to UMass. Um, basically, when I came back, I went to Massasoit Community College for a year. Um, right, and, right. And that is because I still didn't know how to apply for colleges, actually, and how to do it. So I have learned about about community college. Um, and so I did do that for a year. And then there, I got a lot of support because I'm a first-generation student. I happened to join like a program that I learned of at the beginning of the year and that like uh, it was a bunch of counselors and they actually helped me um, understand the, the academia world and how to get into college and all that and they helped me you know apply for all these colleges that I applied to and um, and I did and I did very well at, uh, at community college and so they kind of helped me transition into a four-year college mm-hmm. and and so the experience in uh, UMass where I did end up doing two. So this is the difference, I guess. Right. I was older. I knew what I wanted to do at this point. I loved biology. I knew I wanted to major in it. I, I 
I knew I wanted to graduate early so I can catch up with all my friends. Um, and so I actually did it in two years and I focused um, very deeply about uh, like doing well, graduating early, and at the same time also making some friends and joining some clubs. And yeah, I was 25 when people were 18. Um, so that was kind of like an interesting dynamic. Were you in freshman dorms? So this is where kind of like the roughen up thing that you're talking about, where when I came at this point, when I came back from Israel, I was right. I was like ready to like, you know, cheat the system. Like I, at this point I've learned that I can get whatever I want if I want it kind of thing. Right. And, and there's always loopholes and there's always things I could do to, to make it happen. So I actually was able to finagle myself a, uh, a, a self, um, like a basic, self-made degree. No, no. Um, like a room, but not a double, like a single room oh, in, okay, a, okay. in a, uh, uh, I forget what they're called, but you lived with other people and they're like, you guys would use the same bathroom and you had a common, it's not an apartment, but, and you had a common. Suite, or... yeah, it's a suite, exactly. So, oh, uh, I see. So you had your own room in a suite. Yep, I found ways. You know, went to a therapist here or there, or like learned. Like I made some connections with like the housing people, and I was like, hey, what do you need to do in order? To, what do I need to do in order to get a single and all that? Because I'm not gonna you don't be, be with an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, right next to an eighteen-year-old. Yeah, and so twenty-five, it, it would have been weird. Exactly. So I did. Um, join a suite and I've made some friends with my suite mates. They were much more of a party scene people, but I still, I got along with them. I had fun. I would party every once in a while, but I had my limits. You know, I knew when, when to stop. I knew when it's important to study. I knew when it's important to socialize. And that's, I think, the difference between a 25 year old and an 18 year old who gets so overwhelmed with everything that is presented to them that they don't know how to prioritize things. So you got your bachelor's in two years. Two years at UMass, and right, and How one long year were you at Massasoit. Oh, okay, gotcha. Wow, so you, you really streamlined everything yeah. um, coming back from that. And so, so it was your experience <laughs> with the medic that actually led you to wow. want to get into, were you ever thinking to get into medicine, or were you, what made you, what made you choose biology? Yeah, I, I think that, like, the medic course kind of sparked it because that's where I realized, like, I love school, I love learning, and then I love the topics. Like, I love, I learned about pharmacology, I learned about anatomy and physiology, like, things like biology, and that was very interesting. And it was either between that or business, slash accounting, actually, and I did try a little bit of accounting in Israel, and I ended up hating it. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try a master's study. I'm just going to take a few bio classes and even like one business class to see like what I like more. But I think I was like, I told myself, I think I like science more. And then I just kept loving it. I took genetics and chemistry and I just fell in love with all these subjects. And I was like, yep, I'm in the right place. Like, this is what I need. This is what I want. What is it about science and genetics and biology that is so interesting to you um i for i'm i love genetics first of all because i think that genetics has like the answers to everything like to all the diseases to all the conditions like we literally are walking books but we just don't know quite yet how to read it or we don't know 
every we haven't read all the pages of our books and there's so many secrets we can uncover um by looking at our genomes and 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 animals and all that like it's incredible the things we'd be able to do you know transition genes create like between species or among so species. you mean become like part man part horse i well like i don't know is that what it's called like oh yeah you know like the man top and the horse bottom yeah i mean that's probably could be done in the future but i'm even talking about like elephants have this gene that is very um uh very um it blocks cancer cells like it's very good against like cancer cells so why not use that gene that you know in humans to be to be able to like fight cancer better do you think that there that no elephant has ever gotten cancer no i'm not saying that but i think but i remember reading a study about how they're they have an anti-cancer yes gene. yep exactly do like, other animals get cancer yeah i think i mean dogs they don't get cancer unfortunately dogs don't cats, they do they do oh they do but I've never seen like a hairless dog that's going through chemo. Oh, like, <laughs> do they put dogs through chemo? I actually think I've heard that some dogs go through chemo, but I don't know what's the effect of of it. Because if they know. get cancer, just like we do, then when they go through the same procedures, I, I don't know. I don't. Mm. I don't know. They don't. Yeah, I don't know. Or like a chimpanzee that has cancer like would you give that chemo and then it would look kind of like a person because it doesn't have so much i've actually hair. never seen it but it would be interesting to google it and check it out okay uh, yeah but to get back oh but that that's so also i really enjoyed that era of coming i kind of call i don't have a specific name for it but it's kind of like 25 was kind of like my golden age because mm. that was like the age where i started actually doing what I want and not what my parents wanted and not necessarily making them proud. And um, I just started doing things like and making my own decisions. And like every decision I was making was like making me feel better about myself. And I just, um, um, yeah, that age. Is that when you came out as well? Yep. That's kind of like basically when I came out, that's when I told my parents, I don't want to, like my parents actually wanted me to stay in Israel and go to school. And again, to kind of have that connection to Israel. But that's when I was like, also guys, I'm done. Like, I know you want me there, but I'm, I'm not happy. And I want to, and they were okay with it, but I think. They wanted you to stay in Israel. Yeah. I think. Why? Because I think that what they're doing is not like to just kind of tell me what to do, but they thought from their experience that it would be best for me but at that age that's when i realized like that they care about me and want the best for me but they are not me so no matter what they recommend based it's based on their experience they're not like it's really great and nice to hear their recommendations but it doesn't necessarily apply to me because i am my own person and i have my own personality my own experience that doesn't necessarily you know, align with what they think should, is the right thing to do. And when that kind of clicked, that's when I was starting doing my own thing, coming back here, go, coming out, going to study biology. My parent, my, my dad didn't think it's a practical sub, uh, top, uh, field. 
um, so, someone who's like a plumber or like he was <laughs> he's like, like I never had to use biology when I fixed yeah. those toilets. There was never any genomes involved. Right. There wouldn't be like exactly. There wouldn't be any money in it. Like more like he said, I think as a art kind of thing or whatever, which biology. is also a very lucrative field. Oh, well, I mean, especially around here with bioengineering and everything. Um, that's, yeah. that's a huge, it's a huge field and there's probably some sort of artistic, is there any artistic element of it? It really isn't, right? Um, I mean, you could bring it, there's a lot of artists who use biology, you know, DNA or like artists, like helix, nature, double helix, yeah, you know, or nature or things like that. There is, there is art in like a seashell. Yeah, that's sort of biology or a a snake skin. Right. Some of those are like literally it looks like a work of art. And it's just like this is this is something that's alive. It's literally the colors of it or a butterfly wings. Uh You almost start to think about, okay, was this literally created by uh, by some by an artist? (laughs) <laughs> when you yeah. see some of those butterflies. Right, it does look, but it's but all it's, natural. It's legit natural. Um, really cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great that you've sort of found your uh, your path and everything through through mm-hmm. that. And, yeah. Um, and I chose which school to go to on my own, which was also my parents advised me to go to a bit more of a prestigious school. Like, you know, got into like a few private schools in Boston. Or, like, oh, did you? Yeah, like, you know, like the all the BUs, BC. Oh, you got into BU? BC, BU. Really? Yeah, Northeastern, yeah. But and then I, you decided to go to UMass instead. I decided to go to UMass instead because I decided that that's I, where I think I'll be happy. I was familiar with it through friends. It was a big enough school to have a lot of opportunities and, and check things out. Um, and, yeah, but it wasn't my parents were like, you should go here in Boston and will pay for it and all that, but I also didn't want to put, I didn't get as much money as I did for UMass to go to school, yeah, of course, and I didn't want to put a strain on my parents for it too, so that was also um, yeah. in my calculation. Wow. But I made the right choice too. That's good, that's good. Yeah. Um, what else did we <laughs> want to touch on? Um, your scholarship. My scholarship idea? Oh. Okay, Tell us yeah. of the idea, because because right. sometimes I know it's something that you want to happen. Sometimes just stating it uh-huh. right. is is gonna manifest it. Do you know about manifesting? Well, what like what? Like uh, writing down your goals and then they actually come true. I should do more of that. I it, definitely should. I actually learned this from a previous podcaster, but. He said that he met this social worker lady who was like, have you heard about manifesting? And he's like, what? And he's like, she's like, yeah, you just have to like write down your goals. Like apparently you take like a thing of sage and you have to burn it and then you, and it, and then it actually comes true. So whatever it is, tell us what, tell us your, yeah. your pitch. Cause I've heard this pitch once and I've, I've thought it's really cool and, and I think it's worth a share. Yeah. Okay. So maybe by stating it, I will be committing to it. Um, but when I went to Massasoit Community College, um, I know, you know, it has like bad connotation to it, uh, but I actually recommend it. And I think it's a really nice 
um, step towards educa higher education and helps a lot of people who don't have either financial support or or a background support in general. Um, like uh, people, like parents who never went to college and helped out. So um, I was, I made some friends there too, and I was a lot of the people that I was with. A lot of it, you would see that they're in community college because a lot of them don't have money, don't have guidance, first generation students, and and you see that a lot of them are trying and like want to get a degree, but it seems so far to them because. After they're done with community college, they also have to go to a four-year college, which then that's another issue. Like, how do they afford it? So a lot of them either end up dropping out or um, or or just getting their associate's degree and getting like a low-paying job, you know, to just uh, be able to survive. And um, so it was sad to see. Like, I've had a few friends who kind of left because they couldn't couldn't do it at some point. Because um, they like even Massasoit was okay, and even it could have been hard too. But like then, what's next? Like that's even harder. Mm. So, um, so I did Massasoit, did college, got a degree in biology, started working in biotech, and I have always kind of you know ever since I kind of graduated and stuff, always thought that I should be able to also give back a little bit and and help support people who are less fortunate than I am because although I didn't have the um, the guidance to go to college, I did have financial support for my parents. Um, and so I was lucky in that way because I didn't have to do also um, intermediate jobs. Like a lot of people had to go to school and do jobs and that like you, you can't excel that way. Like it's I, pretty much a full-time job just going to school. Yeah. Right? And so I was, that's why I think I also, that's, Honestly, that's why I think I I did so well in school is because I had a lot of time to study, which a lot of people don't because they had to go work. Or they're taking care of their daughter or something. Exactly, yeah. right. Um, and so, yeah, and so I have actually became like a mentor over time to first-generation students, to people from Massasoit, even to uh, people in the field, in the STEM field, in UMass as well. I go back. So I go back to UMass every year as a graduate panel uh, to talk to students mm -hmm. about my experience, yeah, and then cool. kind of answer questions. You go every year for that? Yep, I go every year for the awesome. College of Natural Sciences, and I just, you know, tell my story and what I do, and then I, throughout the year, I have to, I'm on a list as well where students can reach out to me on LinkedIn and, and message me, and I, and I do all sorts of things, like I meet with them, I give them guidance, I talk to them about... Um, getting jobs, about internships. I even connected a few people to internships at UMass, and I even got a few people a job at Massasoit. Um, I mean, at, uh, sorry, at, um, at Foundation Medicine where I used to work, and um, and I've even like helped with resumes. Um, so I did all those kind of different things, and I and I really enjoyed it. But I wanted to, I felt like I still need to give a little bit more. And so I've had this idea for a while that I want to go. <clears throat> so I went back to Massasoit and like also kind of gave a talk about um, my experience at Massasoit, my experience moving to a four-year college, because that's a big concern for a lot of students over there too. And then graduating and getting a job. So I've had, I've talked before to them. And so... I've had this idea to go back to Massasoit 
and offer, you know, a session where I do talk again and come and, and share my experience and hope to give some motivation to some students. But also, I wanted to be able to donate to them to, well, I wanted to start a scholarship. So I wouldn't be, obviously, I wouldn't be able to help everyone. Um, and I can't, uh, like, donate, um, like, as much as I would like to. But I am able to donate, you know, a sufficient amount. I was thinking about $1,000 or something like that. And maybe split it by either four or by two. So at least two students or four students can enjoy the little bit of it in order to be able to motivate them um, to finish school at Massasoit. So, yeah, so I've been thinking about starting a scholarship and I've never done it. I don't know how to do it. I've received scholarships, so obviously that's a thing. Um, and so I'm still stuck in that phase. I did reach out at some uh, to Massasoit and um, I, it didn't work out. They didn't seem to be like giving me the right people. And so, and at some point I kind of gave up, but I think I need to go back and try to find the right person to do this with. But my, my plan or one of my dreams was to start a scholarship online, be able to um, also, you know, kind of bring that opportunity to other people in my, in my field, in my surroundings to see if I'm not necessarily going to be asking for donations because no matter what, I will donate what I am committing to. But if other people wanted to join in, um, then obviously that would be great and be able to help other students. And then I was also thinking about doing criteria and like asking, so basically asking um, students to apply by writing me an essay. And I'm not sure exactly about the question, but it would some probably be something around motivation and what motivates them or what they would, you know, what, what this money would help them do. Um, in terms of their career goals and yeah. and basically um, be able to kind of pick on that. And I was also thinking of offering, if people were to donate a decent amount of money, being part of the deciding factor of who should be able to get the scholarships as well. Mm, okay, sort of a crowdsourced decision yeah. sort of thing where you can help make, you can vote or you could sort of right. have a, have an impact as a, as someone who's donating, right? Yep. And because of my background, I would like this to apply to uh, first-generation students or low-income students. Um, but yeah, that's part of the criteria that I was thinking about. That's really cool because you're the you're the first in your family to to go to college, right? The, well, the first generation. First generation, because so your sister and your brother both yeah. did, right? Okay. I think we all kind of graduated around the same time. But um, I think a first-generation student means more than just being a kid, um, the, like the only kid in the family to have um, a, um, a degree. I think it also means like the struggles that a first-generation student has to go through in order to go to college because they don't have that, any of that experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting. None of you guys ended up becoming plumbers like your dad, no. right? No, <laughs> Although not, that's not to say the plumber is a bad job. No, not at all. Because, I mean, we need plumbers. If we don't have them, things things don't go things don't go so well. There's actually a pretty. I think there's um, a pretty um, big scare around it, like that people don't want to do um, hard labor like that anymore, and that um, plumbers, electricians, all these handymen. Uh, resources are actually decreasing 
And so there's estimates that their prices are even going to go higher because no one will be doing those jobs. Like not a lot of people will be will want to be doing those jobs soon. Yeah, well, the interesting thing about that and what I hope will solve that is that people will start to realize, wait a second, there's not enough of these and I can make a lot of money with that and then end up uh, becoming, deciding to become plumbers from that. Um, and just kind of sort of the market sort of handle, handles yeah. itself in that regard. But I think the, I think the, uh, the notion that you have to go to college to be successful isn't true. Right. But I also think that for some people it's better suited for than others. Like for you clearly to, to get into biology and to get into all that, it's been the right thing for you. But maybe there's someone else who's more hands-on that always – was doing woodworking or whatever, that that's their natural interest and it aligns with them more where they're better off not going to college. So, um, but, but for your thing, what I, what I appreciate and why I wanted you to talk about that here is that I think a lot of us nowadays are thinking, okay, what do I need to do to like make myself happy? And how am I going to be happy and what do I need to do or what do I need to get? Um, and that sometimes we forget that stop thinking about what is going to make you happy, but what can you do that's going to help? What can you do that's going to help someone else? Um, and maybe in the process, you'll find fulfillment. And so maybe by not thinking about ourselves beyond a certain point, we're like, okay, we're well fed, we exercise, we have a roof over our heads obviously there's some sort of compassion you've got to have towards yourself. But what I liked about you is it's really focusing on how am I going to impact others? So maybe someone's listening to this right now and is like, Oh, this is perfect. I actually, I'm trying to uh, start a scholarship as well. Or I want to some, I don't know, somebody at Massasoit or some other college is like, yes, we need someone like this. So, um, I appreciate that. Um, I wanted before we let go, maybe we'll have another episode at some point about the um, about the scholarship once it's a bit more uh, like yeah, you're gonna get hold me accountable. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, maybe we'll have a follow up one by manifesting it right now. Um, but on top of that, I know that there's another like sneak peek of another topic that you are interested in. Uh, informing others and in the whole concept, in the whole uh, uh, spirit of what can I use, what can I do to, you know, make a positive impact and what's something that I can do to enlighten people about a problem. Do you want to talk yeah. about that before we before we end it? Yeah, yeah. So that's another little project that eventually I I want to, um, you know, uh, with some support of friends and people as well kind of kick off and it's to raise awareness about our narcissistic personality disorder because I think a lot of people experience it and see it and hear about it but it's called in different terms and people don't understand where it's coming from and so a lot of it is under the umbrella of abuse and domestic abuse and that's where like I think 
um, there are many reasons to why people are abusive or why people stay in abusive relationships, but abuse, but, but the, one of the reasons is narcissistic personality disorder. And that's when people have that, um, that is a main, um, reason as to why people are, can gaslight. And it's, it's essentially people who are kind of empty on the inside and have a lot of control issues and are very afraid to lose um, lose any sort of attention about them. But at the same time, when they're projecting to the world, they're very successful looking people. They're very happy. They're very, very um, manipulative. And, and like, you will see something completely different. Actually, narcissistic personality disorder is probably found in a lot of successful people that we hear about. Um, uh, because they are kind of above the rules. And they... Uh, it's a lot of presidents, a lot of like successful politicians, a lot of successful, you know, um, innovative people because they just go way above and beyond um, to to what um, the human. I don't know, you know how people kind of feel some sort of conscience, like they're they're not they're like above that, and so they're kind of they can hurt a lot of people on the way, and. Um, Unfortunately, it ties with a lot of abuse. Is this? Are these people who see themselves as gods almost? Yep, yep. I we always, you know, it's another way of like the way I see on people is that I they think that they were they are the son or the daughter of God basically. So was Jesus a narcissist? Actually, that that's that's probably someone who people later decided that he was. The chosen uh, one. But anyways, that's yeah, that's a whole other topic. Um, yes. Okay, so what you want to do is raise awareness for for people who are narcissists themselves, or for people who are dealing with narcissism in their life from other people. Yeah, I want to raise awareness for first of all victims who don't understand why this repet- repetition happens. Like why are people abusing me or mean to me or emotionally abusive or physically abusive or financially abusive, but then they're also love bombing me and then making me stay. And then, and like, why is it repeating? Why do they make me believe like it's going to end at some point? So I keep staying there and I keep getting stuck in this abusive cycle, unfortunately. And so I want to give, you know, victims like some more awareness about it. It has a name. This is, this is what it is. And maybe once you can understand it, you can, also understand that unfortunately as of right now there is no way to correct this except for leaving so there's no way for uh someone with narcissistic personality disorder to decide that uh, or to to through therapy or through other means to to get better and to stop being narcissistic i I think not i think it's very rare and a lot of communities and books would say that the solution is for the other person to leave and not be around it what do they recommend for the narcissist person like just don't talk to anybody anymore like what how is that that's tough and that's why i mean i would like to raise more awareness and also because i do understand the other side as well and i hope that there is some sort of you know a cure or but there's not much awareness about it and not much knowledge about it um so right that is another side to it that would be really cool to learn about yeah but um not only for the victims but i also want to raise awareness for people who haven't experienced it because 
to keep an eye out for to it. To keep an eye out for it, because people who have also dealt with trauma and things like that are prone to be victims of narcissistic or of narcissists, um, because narcissists pry on people who are insecure or need or don't have a support uh, system, and um, that they'll that they'll gravitate towards those people. They yeah. realize. Ooh, this person is gonna fall for it, or yep. I'll be able to, like, ooh, I noticed that 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 person seems like they'll be easy to manipulate, so I'm gonna choose them. And yep, exactly. And so I also want to do that as a warning for people as well, um, so they know what to watch out. They know the symptoms. They know what they're getting themselves into, and they know what the what happens because this is not new. Like. What happens in my family happens in another family happens in another fa- like it's the same patterns and the same symptoms in basically almost every type of uh, dynam- family dynamic or friendship or relationship. So you're saying it 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 run it sort of runs in the family. Like if your parent, it's like almost alcoholism. If your parent is an alcoholic, you're like ten times more likely to become an alcoholic. Is that, um, is that true? So narcissism stems. We think it's genetic, partially genetic, really? and then also partially traumatic. So okay. a mix have, of the yeah, there could be a portion of genetics, but then you also might need the trauma growing up to trigger it. Um, yeah. So is it possible for someone who grew up in the most loving, the best kind of scenario, they were always loved and supported and had a very good upbringing, is it possible for them to become a narcissist just because of that's how they were born that's um, I think I genetic? yes I believe so and um, it's it's a sort of um, sociopath um, branch you know what I mean it's a type of a so- sociopath and so I would say it is it can happen in families where right you're brought up um, also you know at a stand at a pretty average family and is there what you're planning on doing with creating a support system for an awareness um, for for the dangers of narcissism is there anything like this out there already or is this like blazing new territory yeah so there are a lot of resources out there actually um, there's a lot of communities a lot of victims who talk about it there are tiktokers or Instagram yeah. people who talk about it um, so there is a lot of resources. I think the way I want to do it is I want to be able to simplify it more yeah. and just be able to kind of reach people very quickly and like, you know, one, two, three, these are the symptoms. Like, and be able to kind of, um, have people learn very quickly and very like, um, be able to take a little bit of their attention uh, rather than like a whole, uh, thing. Well, cause I, I, I like... I like that idea of just give them a uh, simplify it, but I also, for me in particular, just because I'm interested in it, from your biological standpoint, I would like to learn how this is related to the genome and related to if it's like what what is the science behind this? Yeah. Um, so maybe you'll have a little portion in there for people who are just like ultra curious like me yeah. about about it. That is really cool, and I won't talk about it that much, but I do believe there was, like, kind of combining biology with, you know, mental illness, essentially, and, like, being able to track mental illness and know, like, being able to diagnose someone like that is very difficult, but I have read about um, a study where um, 
they did an MRI for uh, narcissistic people and kind of showed them images of, of, of like an old person falling down or things that you're like a regular person would kind of be alerted and, and be compassionate towards and a certain area would light up in your brain and, a, and having a narcissist after, under the MRI wouldn't cause any trigger wouldn't light up any they wouldn't feel any compassion or they wouldn't feel any sort of i want to help this person they do not feel they do not feel everything that they do is essentially fake and empty they're very hollow it's very scary when you think about it but they have no mercy for people um and it's all an act is it considered a mental disorder or a mental disease according to whatever the american i don't know Um, uh mental, I don't know what it's called, but there not there like a list of, I guess those lists always change, so maybe it's not important, yeah. but. So it's, it is considered a mental health condition, um, where they have high sense, so right now I'm just reading it from Google, but they have high sense of unreasonably, high, um, they have an unreasonably high sense of their own importance. They need to seek too much attention and want people to admire them. They literally do feed off people's admiration. Well, I have to interrupt you for a second because is this a spectrum like anything else? Because don't you just literally said what a lot what makes a lot of people happy and why social media is so popular? Because right. people right. like getting uh, a sense of their self and people like them and and all this stuff. So. I mean, is it a spectrum that, oh, you're either a narcissist or you're not, or like, oh, I'm like 70% narcissist, or I'm 75%, or I'm only a 30% narcissist, but is this, instead of being like, yes or no, I'm narcissist or I'm not, is it like, uh, I can have a little bit, like, sort of a genetically Neanderthal, like, we can have a percentage of ourselves that are a bit Neanderthal, but it doesn't mean we're yes or no Neanderthal or not. Yeah, so so I'm sure it is a spectrum, but also there's actually different types of narcissists. There's, I don't know all the names that, like off the top of my head right now, but there's uh, types of narcissism. There's narcissistic personality people that are a bit more subtle about what they do, then there are ones that are a bit more... Um, out there which are the ones that are actually more abusive and like you can kind of see it sometimes come out when they get mad um but narcissistic personality disorder is is different and that's what like that's why it's important to kind of raise awareness and talk more about it but it's different than being a narcissist like everyone is a narcissist to some degree like you said everyone like it is uh, normal for me to be want to be admired by someone. This yeah. is a normal quality. Yeah. But when it becomes, human nature, right? right? But when it becomes a disorder, when it, it it kind of feeds off onto like your whole life, and and like you're actually affecting people, usually in a negative way, um, and and starting to use control mechanisms, manipulative mechanisms, in order to be able to get that fuel that's what they call it fuel like attention that they need to survive otherwise they would not survive well very um, interesting very interesting yeah, there's a lot more to it um but i know we've we wanted to touch a little bit upon it but yeah well we'll leave room for the next episode where we're gonna have we have two episodes planned for you already uh, one for your scholarship and once when you become a narcissist personality disorder uh, expert and are able to have resources and uh, 
yeah. help center. So we and our friend Kaylin will also be able to help us with that. Yes, and I speak exactly. from experience, and um, she has a lot of knowledge about it as well. Yes, um, we'll have to loop her in as well on this. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Ben, it's been a pleasure having you on the episode. Um, any any final points you want to wrap up on, or did we cover everything? Yeah, I think we covered a lot. Um, thank you for having me, for letting me speak. Um, I didn't realize I had a lot to talk about, so I appreciate it. And, and we, that was the tip of the iceberg. That was, that tip was the there's so much more that we had to we had to get back on track for some of these things. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we'll have more conversations in the future. Uh, wanted to remind everyone if you haven't already to like and subscribe or follow or whatever it is on your platform where you're listening whether it's spotify or apple podcasts um thank you for listening and catch you on the next episode